We're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse, which is a lovely way to study the Bible, because I don't get to pick what I teach next. It's the next part of the Bible. So if we need money, I don't get to go to all those parts of the Bible that say, give me money. Yay. Yay. What if I went and said, give me your allowance money, Jonathan? Oh, <laughs> he would be so disappointed. Oh, yeah, I get, I get frustrated when I hear preachers preaching about money. and Don't you guys? It just rubs me the wrong way. God is not broke. Amen. He's not broke. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. Someone said that to me this week. And uh, it's, it is so wonderful to serve a God that's not in trouble. He is on the throne He's doing just fine, and he's working through our lives. And sometimes he does send us these trials and suffering. And, and that's what we talked about last week, right? With suffering, how to think about suffering. And, and uh, we learned that if we think rightly about suffering, we won't be paralyzed by fear. And uh, we'll be ready to honor God through our suffering. We'll be ready to be used by God. We'll follow his game plan. Remember the whole football analogy we used last week. Well, this week we're going to study how thinking about grace brings unity. How thinking about grace brings unity. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are full of grace and truth, as John 1.14 says. And of your fullness, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. We just draw upon what you have inside you, your life. We draw and feed on it in our souls. We come to you and believe your words. And Jesus, I pray for those in here who are hurting and who need healing. And Jesus, I ask you to be their healer. Father, we need a heavenly Father to pick us up, to hold us and comfort us. And I thank you so much that you are revealed in Scripture as a Father who never fails. You never let us go. You never abandon us. You're never despondent. You never ignore us. You are completely perfect as a father. So Lord, we, just, we look to you in all these things. We need you to teach us what this scripture means. And we pray these all in Jesus' name. Amen. The church is one big organism. It's a living, breathing body. In fact, it's the largest body in the world. But it's invisible, and it's made up of all of those who are in Christ. In Christ. What does in Christ mean? That means anyone who's believed in the promises Jesus has made and believes in what he did, the work he did on the cross, you are in Christ by faith. That's what being in Christ means. So the health of this invisible body that's all around the world, stretched all around the world, it's all dependent on their connection to the head of the body. And who is the head? Jesus. All right. Jesus is the head of the body. Our health as the body depends on how much we connect to him, how much we call out to him, as we learned last week when we're suffering how much we depend on him. He is that head, and everything is supplied from him. So now, let's go ahead and read our text. We're going to get through an entire two verses today. 
You like when I slow down. All right. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1 of Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy in being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There are five things listed right there that are given to us in Christ. There's the consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection, and mercy. Five, just to nerd out on you for just a minute, is the number of grace in the Bible. There's actually numbers, number, numerology is something that's actually very real. Number seven is the number of completion. You guys probably know that. There's seven days in a week, seven, all kinds of sevens, right? Six is the number of man. Whenever it has to do with man and man's inability, man's own sufficiency, that's the number six. Five is the number of grace. Four, you got all kinds of other numbers, all right? Well, Israel came out of Egypt five in rank. They came out five because salvation is by grace. So when Israel came out of Egypt, God divided them into five groups to bring them out. David picked up five smooth stones to fight Goliath because he's not going to beat him by works, right? He's got to beat him by grace. The holy anointing oil in the Bible was made of five parts, five different ingredients. We're going to see that five is the number of grace many times as we study the word of God. And these five things that we see here in this verse, consolation in Christ, love, mercy, all these things, they are a picture, a description of grace. Things that God has given to us. Give is the language of grace. You can't ever earn grace, right? Grace is a gift, so it must be given. You can only receive it. Has anyone ever come to you and said, I would like to work for you to earn a Christmas present, Father? No. Gifts, we know, intrinsically, are given. And so these five things that we read in, in the first verse, and we're going to cover this more in depth, but they are what God has given to us. Consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection, and mercy. We're going to look at each one of those today. Paul says that his joy would be complete in this verse. He would be so happy if they would just think about these five things. Receive these five things. He says in verse 2, Fulfill my joy, having been like-minded and having the same love and being of one accord and one mind. So we're going to go in reverse order. and We're going to study the second verse before we study the first verse today. In the second verse, he says, I want you to... to to be like-minded. In other words, to think the same way about these five things, which we're going to study later. Again, we're going to do those second. But we're just going to say these five things a bunch of times. So he wants us to be like-minded, to think the same way about these five things. That means each Christian needs to know these five things, and they need to think rightly about grace. It's so important for Christians to think rightly about grace. Grace is not sloppy agape. It does not mean you get to just 
get out of sin free card and, and you, you don't get, you just get to sin however much you want, like you have a license to sin. Hey, here's my grace license. I can sin as much as I want. That, that is not what it is. We need to think rightly about grace. Grace isn't a sloppy agape or a sin as much as I want, license to sin. It is a power given to you to stop sinning. God doesn't want you to sin, but he doesn't want you also to try your own on your own to stop sinning. He wants you to do what he said, follow the game plan, which is abide in Christ, spend time with him, look to him to be your sufficiency and resources, and he will enable you to stop sinning. He will enable you to have victory, at least not be dominated by sin anymore. Secondly, he says he wants us to have the same love. He wants all Christians to experience the love described by these five things. We're going to spend a lot of time explaining that. But basically, each Christian really needs to taste and see that these five things are real. They need to have it. They need to have a personal experience with grace so that you can tell someone else, it's so good. You got to taste it too. We need to have that. We can't just be like, well, I learned it in church and I learned it growing up and it's the right thing to do, so do it. That can't be how it works. It has to be real inside you. We need to have that same love, he said. Third, He wants us to be of one accord, he said. To all agree that these five things are the reason for our lives, the purpose we live for. So every Christian needs to see the absolute importance of these five things that we're going to study. We need to see that it's only by grace, as we'll see. And lastly, he wants them to be of one mind, which seems a lot like all of these are kind of like the same thing. That means to be unified as one body under the control of one mind in these five things. So every Christian needs to be a living part of a body that lives by these five things. They need to live on grace or feed on grace. Our souls are hungry and we need to feed them with grace. I wish Hungry Hungry Hippos had five hippos. Then it would be a perfect picture of grace. But there was only four, I think, right? Yeah. They weren't thinking biblically when they made that game. All of this shows that our unity as one body comes from grace and nothing else. We are all connected through grace as we shall see. So, what are these five things that show us God's grace? Consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection, and mercy. Paul said in verse 1 now, If there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, And mercy, fulfill my joy in being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. He asked these five rhetorical questions that point out this five-sided grace that he wants us to think about. God's grace 
Well, this is what grace is. Grace is God's loving, faithful actions for humans or his gifts given to us, something that he gives to us. And it says that we should look unto Jesus, the what? Author and finisher of our faith. And then it also says that faith is a gift. Even faith is a gift. It's a grace that's given. So in order for us to really see what these five things are, what Paul means when he says, is there any consolation in Christ? Is there any comfort of love? Is there any affection? Is there any mercy? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? If, if we want to learn what those things are, we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because our faith is in these five things, things that, that God gives us. That's what you put your faith in. We're not putting our faith in some philosophy. We're not putting our faith in magic words. We're not putting our faith in anything except a man who was God, made promises to us that we believe. That's how this whole thing works. Today we're going to spend our time looking at these five descriptions of God's wonderful grace for us. We live in a time where God has given us his Holy Spirit. Ever since Pentecost, men and women on this earth have been filled with the very Holy Spirit of God, the ones who would look to Jesus and believe his word and get saved, you're given the Holy Spirit, right? And the Bible says his job is to comfort the people of God. That's the Holy Spirit's title is the comforter. And so it's his main job description. He does do other things like convict of sin. He's really good at that, right? You guys have all experienced that. And he, he can teach us too. But his main job is is to make sure that you know in your heart health and happiness and joy in your relationship with God. He is there to comfort you. That is his main job. I'm going to quote Spurgeon, so you get ready. <laughs> now, as the Holy Spirit is the comforter, Christ is the comfort. The Holy Spirit consoles, but Christ is the consolation. If I may use a figure, the Holy Spirit is the physician, but Christ is the medicine. He heals the wound, but it is applied by the holy ointment of Christ's name and grace. So the Holy Spirit goes around to all the people of God, and he's dispensing pills of Jesus to console them, to comfort them, to heal them. And when we think about Jesus, as we read the Bible or sing a song or we're fellowshipping, fellowshipping with one another, the Holy Spirit is secretly behind the scenes, underground, working a work in our souls of applying Jesus in all of those things. He's giving Jesus to us. That is how we walk in the Spirit. We allow him to apply Jesus into our lives and into our hearts. So let us take a walk 
in the Spirit through the pages of history. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus is our grace. And we're going to see if we cannot experience Jesus today. We're going to experience maybe these five things. Some consolation in Christ. As we look unto Jesus, the author, and finish our faith, we're going to get some consolation. We're going to get some comfort of love. We're going to get some fellowship of the Spirit. We're going to get some affection. And we're going to get some mercy. Don't those five things bring a smile to your face? Like, oh, man, those are good things. This is going to be a good day. Well, let's remember Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? The place where we first fell, where sin and sorrow entered the world, where sickness and work and pain all began, all because of a woman? What? Just kidding. The man sinned, right? All the women say, Amen. Amen. But the women were deceived. <laughs> I know it hurts to think about this garden sometimes. It, 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 we think, what if Adam never sinned? I wouldn't be sick today. Allergies, thing of the past. You know, we never would have experienced it. Pain would have gone. My family wouldn't die. I wouldn't experience anything. Sickness and death are a huge cause of grief in our hearts. And some of us are feeling this grief today about death and, and sorrow. I mean, that's where it all started, right? And it can be hard to think back. Where was Jesus in all of that? And the answer to that question comes as we look back even further to eternity past. Where was Jesus in eternity past before he made the world? Well, he was hanging out with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And sometime there in eternity past, he agreed with the Father to make a covenant of grace with us. In other words, they knew that they were going to create men and they knew men were going to fall. And they had this conversation and, and God said, I, I am, God the Father said, I am, I, I'm such a father. I love these children, even though they're wicked and rebellious. My son, would you redeem them? Would you take their place in punishment? Would you love them and become a man and let me pour on you all the wrath of all sin for all eternity? Let me pour it on you on the cross. And Jesus said, let me think about it. No. Jesus and the Father are equal in heart. They are united always in will. And so they, Jesus said, yes, I will do that. I will. They agreed to free us before we were slaves. Jesus did. He agreed to heal us before we were sick. They all planned and committed to bring about your salvation before anything else. 
Jesus knew the price he would have to pay, and he gladly stepped forward to be crucified before the foundations of the earth, it says in Colossians. He, get this, anticipated your needs, and he gave his life to meet your great needs. Jesus thought about your sin and failure and he responded with love and sacrifice. How can thinking about this not cause you to feel and know consolation, love, fellowship, affection, and mercy? We got to think about this. But maybe you're more sad at not being able to be with Jesus right now. Man, I wish I could see you and touch you and know you right now. Maybe that's the source of your grief. Well, Jesus understands that. And he desires to be with you, to hang out with you, with the fire of a thousand suns. He has always longed to walk with and fellowship with the sons of men. And you are no different. You are precious. You are his beloved, he says. Remember how Jesus appeared to Abraham disguised as a wanderer because Abraham was a wanderer. Jesus knew what Abraham was going through, so he had compassion on him. Remember how Jesus appeared to Jacob by the river. And Jacob was a wrestler, so Jesus showed up just to wrestle with him. Man, what a compassionate God and friend. Remember how Jesus showed up to Moses as a burning bush? Moses was like a burnt out bush. Not burnt, burning up on fire for God, but he was burnt out after 40 years of living in the desert, doing nothing but watching sheep poop. That's it. But Jesus showed him what God would make him into. He encouraged him. He comforted him. Remember how Jesus appeared to Joshua as the captain of the armies of God. And Joshua, uh, he was the captain of the armies of Israel. And Joshua's like, whose side are you on? And Jesus is like, neither. I'm on God's side. And he gave him commands and he spent time with him and he wanted to meet with Joshua. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire and the furnace? Jesus was right there in the fire walking around with them and their ropes were burnt off and they had fellowship with Jesus. And even Nebuchadnezzar was like, hey, come out here and talk with me. And they're like, we're cool. We're going to stay here for a little while. Nebuchadnezzar's like, please, come on, come on, talk with me. And they're like, when we're ready. Calm down, Nebby. <laughs> In all of these appearances, Jesus shows us that he really considered himself to be one of us. In love with us. 
Even though he is God and there's the separation that sin brought, Jesus goes above and beyond to continually break down that separation. He comes to us and he fights for us at every turn. That's what Jesus does. And does that not give you consolation? Does that not comfort you? He is not against you. He is for you. And he wants to walk with you. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13 and 14. I'll read it to you. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. You men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, as and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is God's heart. He's like, I just want to take you by the hand and help you. Now, how do you help someone? You give them something. We are seeing God giving grace to us. And God says he loves to do that because he's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is who he is, his very character, who he is, his compassion. He loves you. He wants fellowship with you. He wants to be merciful to you. Now look at 43, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom and Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored. I have and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. Uh, You know, we could read the entire Bible and get the entire message that God loves you so much that he was willing to give you grace and be your savior. So as Jesus walked through these Old Testament, with these Old Testament saints in the Old Testament, just like that, he is willing and able to walk with you where you are at. He doesn't despise you. He doesn't hate to you. In fact, he comes to you over and over, and he will again today if you open up your heart to him. He will come to you again today. What great consolation and fellowship we have with Jesus just from the Old Testament. If we were to stop there, which we're not, But if we were, that would be a sufficient encouragement for us. But Jesus has more. Because Jesus then came down from heaven where he lived all eternity past and he became 
a man. He added humanity to his deity, and he is forever a man and God together. It's called the hypostatic union. Pull that out and scrabble. <laughs> You'll get all the points. And Jesus, when he became a man, he suffered just like us in every way. So Jesus now can comfort and console us in every way. Where we are weak, he was weaker. Where we are tempted, he was tempted more. Where we are, where we are hated, he was hated more. Where we are poor, he was more. That rhymes. So good. Jesus, as he became a man, he lived his life in total dependence on the Father, praying when weak, trusting when tempted, loving always, never giving in to his fleshly desire to hate or be impatient. He was always loving. And then he suffered. Oh, how he suffered. Whatever you have suffered, it is just a taste of the cup that he drank down to the bottom. If there's any place where Jesus becomes all you need, it is here. The place where he suffered more than any man, where he is thrown into the deepest ocean of pain, so that he can become our joy and life and comfort. The night before he was slaughtered, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He bowed in anguish before the will of his Father. He loved us and wanted to save us, but the Father had always been with him and had been his strength. How could he ever experience the Father, his Father, as his enemy? which he would the next day. So the stress that he was going through, the mental and emotional anguish caused his blood vessels in his forehead to pop and for him to bleed and sweat drops of blood. It's almost as if he couldn't start wait to shed his blood for you. He couldn't wait to start shedding his blood for you. His body, his skin couldn't even hold back his passion to sacrifice for you. That's the power of his passionate love for you. Now look back at him again. His robe that poor beggar's robe that he owned was ripped off and they took him and they tried him. They rejected him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails, causing more bleeding than any man should ever endure, should have killed him right there. Adding more and more blood and beauty to this Valentine's Day card Jesus is writing for you. Now look back at him again. 
He was made to go naked to the cross. Nails were driven into his hands and feet. A crown of thorns as sharp as razors cut into his head. His head swelling up to three times larger than a normal person's head. His face unrecognizable from the beatings when they put the bag over his head and beat him. Every bone in his body is out of joint. And all he does is love. All he does is love and forgive the people who are doing this to him. He even spends time teaching from the cross and then loving some more. Everyone stops who passes by to watch. And we need to also. We need to stop. And look at him. Some mock him and some cry in sorrow. Why? Why would he need to suffer so much? Why would he need to suffer more than any man? How can I tell you anything that comforts you as much as the stripes on his back? Nothing in this world can comfort you as much as Jesus on the cross. If Jesus does not bring consolation, comfort of love, fellowship, affection, and mercy, when you hear what Jesus has done for you, everything I just described, if you do not feel those things, you are dead. Right now, in these seats, you are dead. You have no life in you. But Jesus does have life. Because he rose again, right? Three days later. And he takes that life and he gives it to whoever would call upon him. Why would we look to any other man or to anything else in this world to bring us comfort or to help us feel affection or for mercy or fellowship or consolation? Why would we look anywhere else? If the murdered Jesus does not bring you what you need, you do not know what you need. He is the finished ransom price, the Redeemer. The blood that takes away all sin. The only accepted sacrifice to God. And it does bring hope. It does work. Spurgeon, oh, this is a double Spurgeon quote message. He said, I am persuaded, men and brethren, that we have only to sit more at the cross to be less troubled with our doubts, our fears, and our woes. We have but to see his sorrows and lose our sorrows. We have to see his wounds and heal our own. If we would live, it must be by contemplation on his death. If we would rise to dignity, it must be by considering his humiliation and sorrow. There's an old hymn that goes, Lord, thy death and passion give strength and comfort in my need. Every hour where here I live, on thy love my soul shall feed. Oh, but there's more. 
We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and he's not done yet. Jesus gives more. He is more than just a brutal, sacrificing death because he was laid in that tomb and then three days later he burst forth alive, no longer naked but clothed with all the glory of God. And our tears dry now as we see the utter victory over sin and death. We never need to fear death or the power of sin again. We are free as he rises from the dead. For now, we will never need to have an anxious thought the night before we die. For our only thought is on Jesus. Death is merely a door to the glories of God, and we embrace it. We run towards it. The day of our death is now a great celebration and nothing but victory and joy because of Jesus, alive and risen. If you need comfort, Look at his side. See his wounds. They are healed, and he is alive. Amen? Now, look at Jesus again. Ascended. He sat down at the right hand of the heavenly Father who said, Well done. And Jesus is now given by the Father a name which is above every other name. He is worshipped and loved forever by all his people. And whenever we fear or doubt, we need to remember this Jesus. Did you know that when he ascended on high, you went up with him? His resurrection life is given to you. You rose with him and you sit with him on his victorious throne and you share in his victory. God gives you his victory, and that's a great description of what grace is. God gives you the victory that Jesus won. The victory of Jesus is given to you, and what does that victory look like? These five things. That's what this victory looks like. Consolation in Christ. Comfort in, of love. Fellowship of the Spirit, affection, and mercy. These five things are just Jesus. Given to you. They are his grace. And now we look at Jesus again. We're not even done yet. We can look at him again. And we see him up in heaven serving continuously as our high priest. He has us on his heart he hears our prayers and brings them to God. And so now we know that every single prayer is answered and heard. No matter how feeble your voice is when you call. And how many of you have uttered feeble prayers? He will hear. And he will take that feeble prayer and he will mix it with the incense of his own prayers. And he will bring that to the Father. And the Father will cast down thunder and lightning as an answer. He is serving you now as your high priest, praying for you, making intercession for you, and working for you. Building a home up in heaven and caring about your life and service here on earth. Jesus moves the Father to action in your life. He pleads nonstop for you. 
When you have a desire to be used by God, Jesus feels that desire. He takes that desire as his own and he begs the Father to make it happen through the supply of his spirit in your life. And lastly, we look and see Jesus again. He's about to come back. The bridesmaids are sleeping, but the trumpet will soon be heard in this world. And we will rise and go to our Savior. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And forever be with him. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He shall be the king even of this world when he comes back. He will put down every evil. He will right every wrong in this world. He will cast the devil into prison. Amen? And he'll do away with the curse. Look to Jesus and be changed, my friends. Look to him and receive grace. So now that we've looked at him, we have to come to him. We've believed in him, so let's read our text again. Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy in being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What else are you thinking about? Stop. It's Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus only. Jesus all day. Jesus all night. He says, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, being of that same love and being of one accord and one mind. He wants them to be like-minded about these five things, to only think about Jesus, what he did all through history, eternity past, eternity future. Think about Jesus. Every Christian needs to know these five things. They need to think rightly about God's grace. He wants them to have the same love. Every Christian needs to taste and see that these five things are real. They need to have it. They need to have grace, a real experience of God's grace. They need to know it. It was given to them and they've tasted it. He wants them to be of one accord. He wants us to be of one accord. That these five things are the only reason we live. Every Christian needs to see the absolute importance of these five things. What Jesus gives to us, we need to see it's only his grace that matters. And he wants us to be of one mind, to be unified as one body under the control of one mind in these five things. Every Christian needs to be that living part of the body by these five things, living on these five things. We need to live on grace, feed on grace. Close your eyes with me. Do you see Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus with the eyes of faith? It's not hard, but it will destroy you. It's not difficult, but it will cost you everything. 
you will have no room for any other affections if you allow Jesus to give you his grace. But if you look at him and you believe what you see, you have been set free. You have been healed. You have been given grace. Just like I am, I am all those things. I have received consolation in Christ. I have comfort of love. I have fellowship of the Spirit. I feel the affection of God. And I know I have mercy. And all of you who look with your eyes closed and and you can see that by faith, we are now together, unified, in a way that the world could never know or even understand. Who is united with me in this? Raise your hands if you're united with me. You see it? I'm right there with you. Would you all stand with me? Those of you who are in Christ, this is a roll call. If you're in Christ and you believe with all your heart what Jesus did, we're still closing our eyes and praying here. If this is the first day that you have been in Christ, the first day that you've realized what he did, I want you to come up during this song and, uh, and pray with, uh, with us. Or just come stand up here and we'll pray with you right after the song. We want to rejoice and encourage you. Father, we, we have not thought nearly enough about you. And Jesus, there's so much more that we could explore about what you did, about how you reveal the Father's love to us. And Jesus, I just pray that you would teach us all these things by your Holy Spirit, that we would never think that we can just fake our way as a Christian or think that we can uh, somehow... not look at you and still follow you. We must keep our eyes on you, Jesus. And I pray that your cross would be all that we see, all that we envision, all that we meditate upon. Lord, fill us with only you. Lord, you give us true freedom. And when we, Lord, when we call upon you, there is never a delay in your answer. You send it from heaven because you are quick to save all those who call upon you in truth. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We need more of your spirit. We need more of your love. Lord, we're going to sing a song. We're going to rejoice. We're going to take communion and remember even more what you did. We're going to partake of this, of the the bread and the juice so that we can just figuratively take this teaching into our hearts that your death was for us and you showed us your love and your consolation your mercy and forgiveness is all given to us and we can come to you